Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. So we've been in a series for the last couple of weeks called The Ghost. And Pastor Tim has been uh, sharing with us some of the attributes of the Holy Spirit. Why, who he is, what he does, and his relationship to us. In our key text for the Ghost series has been in John 14, verses 16 through 18. I want to jump into that scripture right off the bat. And these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. He says this, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. He's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. So at the beginning of the series, Pastor Tim shared that that word helper in the Greek language is the Greek word parakletos. And in English, it's translated into one who walks alongside of us. So after spending three years with his disciples, teaching them, mentoring them, guiding them, Jesus says, boys, I'm about to take that rocket ship up into the sky. I'm about to send, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I am going to send another helper to walk alongside of you. And he's going to be with you and he's going to be in you. This is the God ghost, the Holy Spirit. And that is true for anyone in this room or anyone in any room for that matter, who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. If you have believed uh, that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and you've confessed him with your mouth, you are saved. The Holy Spirit has come, has indwelt you. He's with you. He's walking alongside you as we speak. It's a truth for everybody. And for the last couple of weeks, um, we've been discussing not only the fact that the Holy Spirit has indwelt us, but um, some of the reasons for that indwelling. So we know that we have him. What are the reasons that he, Jesus sent him to live in us and to dwell with us? So I want to take a look at a, a couple of those today. Today, I want to talk to us about another reason that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit indwells us. One that, as Pastor Tim mentioned in his gracious introduction of me, that I'm unique, uniquely suited to talk about because of my life experience. But before I dive in, would you do me a favor and pray for me? Uh, I feel a little bit nervous. It's way different up here than it is out there. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. God, thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to walk alongside us, to lead us into truth, to guide us, to give us wisdom. Jesus, I want to ask today that you would reveal more of the Holy Spirit to us. God, give me wisdom. Give me clarity of thought. Give me, give me clarity of speech. And Father, I pray for everyone in this room that needs an extra touch from your spirit by your love that that would happen in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. I forgot to pray for the greatest shooter who ever lived, uh, Wardell Stephen Curry. I am praying that this year there would be no injuries, there would be uh, a healthy season for the Warriors. So when you go to bed at night, pray for Stephen Curry. I had to throw that in there. That was like my one funny thing. Tim's like, you gotta have a funny thing. <clears throat> 
<laughs> so now that I've been funny, let's go back to our main text for a closer look at John 14, verses 15 and 16. Take a look at this. After promising to send the Holy Spirit and confirming that the Holy Spirit's going to be in us and with us, Jesus makes his uh, disciples another powerful promise. He says this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. Lord, where are you going? Well, I'm going up, but I will not leave you alone. This tells us something very important about the Holy Spirit's role in our lives in addiction, in addition to conviction. One of the reasons that the Holy Spirit is in us and indwells us is this, to affirm our adoption into the family of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us to affirm that we are adopted and belong to the family of God. Now, legal adoption may not mean much to most of you. Is there anybody in here who's adopted? I talked to maybe one or two guys. My guy right there from Romania, man, powerful story. Two or three, my man Dylan's adopted. I would say that 99% of the people in here are not adopted, though, in a legal sense. So when we talk about adoption, you may have some questions about what that's, that's like. One of the reasons and one of the realities in my life that I'm most grateful for is that I've always known that I was adopted. From the time I was a little boy, my parents always told me the fact, you know what? Uh, we wanted you. We chose you. We handpicked you. I've always known it. Um, and it gave me this sense of being chosen. It's something that happens when you know that you're chosen. It's almost like if you're in a grocery store and you want to get that one perfect avocado, you have to sift through like 25 of those avocados before you get to that one that's nice and soft, not too hard, not too soft. So I identify with an avocado today. I feel chosen. The way it went down is like this. As a young single mother, my biological mother, Jill, made a noble choice to send me into the hands of a couple who could care for me more deeply and more fully than, they, and than she could at that time in her life. She was 15 years old. What a noble choice to make to say, this is a life, I'm going to gift this to someone else. And so she uh, gave me up for adoption. Um, I spent a little bit of time in foster care. It was about three months. I have this picture of this uh, elderly woman who I know went to a gospel church because uh, she had her hand up singing like, like in the praise position. And she was uh, one of those ladies that had the fan, you know. So I had the anointing on God for me from like month two. Um, but being adopted gave me a sense of uh, being chosen. My parents, when they adopted me, they worked hard to love me the best that they could. They weren't perfect. Nobody is. But they did a good job. And I want to honor them for that. And here's the great story. Because God is such a worker of miracles, about 10 years ago, my biological mother reached out to me on Facebook through my aunt and said, hey, I'm Eric's mother. Would, she, would he be interested in meeting me? And my jaw dropped to the floor. And I said, absolutely. So for the last 10 years, because of the grace of God, because of the healing of God, because of the redemption of God, I have been re-readopted. And now I have a relationship with my biological family. 
powerful. Only God can do that. Perhaps you weren't adopted in the legal sense like I was, but I'd venture to say that you've had some people in your life that have quote unquote adopted you. Maybe it was a coach who saw your jump shot and said, you know what, you're, you're close. Your release is a little bit slow, but if you keep shooting, I know you got this. Perhaps it was a teacher who saw some of your sketches or your drawings and said, you know what, you're very creative. I see the detail in, the, in these lines that you've drawn. I see the beauty and the architecture that you're sketching out. Keep going. Perhaps it was an aunt or uncle who stepped in when mom and dad were away at work or busy, and they said to you, this is meat, this is cheese, this is sauce, these are tortillas, put them all together and you've got an enchilada with avocado on the top. Regardless of your natural family history, we all have the handwriting of others over our lives. Every single person in this room. So in our community, perhaps it was a mentor, or it was a pastor, or it was a small group leader in our church that walked with you through a time of tragedy or celebrated with you when you graduated high school or you got the promotion at work or you made that scary job change. Someone was there and said, I'm going to walk with you through this. We all have the signature and the handwriting of others over our lives. So when I look around this room, I see a bunch of chosen avocados, just like me. Every single person here is chosen. But even if you can't point to any natural adoptive situations in your life, Jesus says that he put his Holy Spirit in you to adopt you so that you can become part of his family. The book of Romans speaks of adoption like this in chapter eight. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fe fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So in our text from John 14, Jesus promises not to leave us as orphans. And here in Romans chapter 8, Paul explains how this promise is fulfilled. I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another one. The way that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit is through the, the spirit of adoption. And now you can crawl, cry out to God, you are my father. When you were saved, <clears throat> excuse me, when you were saved, you received God's spirit. That spirit serves as the legal transaction that you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's a legal transaction. You were in one country and city and now you're in another. When you put your faith in Jesus, God is your adoptive father. 
He signs up to take complete care and responsibility for your life. This means that he's your provider. He's going to provide everything that you need. The Bible says that uh, God is able to richly provide all that you need. He's also your protector. He's a shield that goes around, that stays around you in dangerous situations. You can run to him and he's your covering. And he's also your peace. Want to pause for a second on the word Tim shared. Wherever you came today, whatever you did before this service, there is nothing but love and acceptance and grace for you, wherever you are. And God's desire is to give you peace today. So I want to speak peace over every person, every heart in this place that needs peace. Unlike natural adoption, spiritual adoption goes a step further. In the same way that my parents' physical DNA leaves inside of me and can't be changed, we've received a deposit of certain basic supernatural rights as God's children. Privileges that we never would have had apart from spiritual adoption. And I want to share three that are near and dear to my heart with you today. First is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, you have a family. You have a family. One of our core values here at the Father's House is to become family. And if you're new to the team or if this is your first time visiting, I want to share with you what that value says. It says that we believe that lives flourish in the context of community. We prioritize living life together and we refuse to let anyone do life alone. That's one of our values. That's one of my favorite values of our church. But I want to let you know, this is not just some cute mantra or some clever hashtag that we created for Instagram. This is written into the very foundations and values of our church. When you come to the Father's house, you are no longer alone and separated. You have a family. That value is written intentionally in communal adoption language. And I'm convinced, and I have become convinced being part of this church, that God has no other plan for the salvation of humanity than in the context of family. No other plan. Salvation is never primarily just an individual experience. When you're saved, God immediately puts you into a family. Family is God's blueprint of hope for a broken world. He's got no plan B. It's family. It's it. It's us. Let's bring this a little bit closer to home because I want to make sure that this isn't just pie in the sky ideas about adoption and about family and these sorts of things. We live in a unique city. If you look around San Francisco on our streets, we have some of the most challenging examples of lonely, hurting people. The brokenness that we see in our city and many other cities 
however, is not inherently a money problem. There's plenty of money to go around. Don't let anybody else tell you different. There's plenty of money to go around. It's not a money problem. It's not a drug problem. It's not an unemployment problem. It's not a political problem. It is an isolation problem. Brokenness often happens because of isolation. Always remember this when you're dealing with somebody who is in the process of recovery, whom God is healing their life, that addiction and depression are often symptoms of loneliness and not simply willful self-destructive living. I know because I've been there before. And maybe some of you were there before as well. Maybe you find yourself here today. I want to tell you that there's hope. There's hope because you have a family. Psalm 68 verses 4 through 6 further illustrate this idea of family. God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. This God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. God sets the lonely in families. About 15 years ago, I found myself living in a freezing cold basement apartment up in Idaho Falls, Idaho. I grew up in California, but my family uh, moved to Idaho when I was in high school. Hated it. If, if you're from Idaho, no offense, but I, I need sunshine. I need sunshine. I don't like to freeze. I don't like to drive in the snow. I was in Idaho. And I had a pretty lonely existence. Uh, my diet consisted only of eggs and potatoes. That's all I could afford. I uh, had made some poor choices. And so I was not able to drive. So I had to literally walk to work in the snow every single day, both ways. It wasn't uphill, but I did walk to, in, to work in the snow. <laughs> Strict routine of 10 push-ups a day to keep this body fit and trim and toned tight. I was very lonely, though, and I discovered this TV show called The Office. Anybody ever heard of a little show called The Office? I was so lonely that after a bit of time, I felt like maybe Toby Flenderson was my only and closest friend. That's not true. Toby is the worst. Toby is the worst. Goodbye, Toby. I was lonely. Some of you know that that was part of my story, and it was the very thing that drove me to addiction and depression years later. If you've seen my testimony video in Discover, or if you were here for our chosen or for the One series last year, I shared that prior to coming to the Father's house and being immersed in this family, I found myself addicted, found myself depressed, and this was a result of loneliness. I know what it's like to be lonely. I want us to take a look at this word from Psalm uh, 68 really quick that's translated into lonely in English. If you could bring that up on the screen. The word lonely is actually the Hebrew word yahid. Everybody say yahid. 
It was funny, when I first looked at the slides for this morning, someone had put an L, I think it was uh, Karaj had put an L in there, so it said, your child. And I thought, man, I don't want to take that out. That's so good, your child. I'm talking about adoption today, your child. (laughs) But Yahid means this. Listen closely. It means the only one. It means disconnected from community. So the word's not primarily an emotional description, but one that emphasizes geographical and spiritual isolation. Yahid is so much more than feeling sad. You're lonely because you are away from, from people, from family. And that's where I was at before I met Jesus. And perhaps that's where many of you were at before you met Jesus. And perhaps that's where many of you find yourselves at today. But at the moment of salvation, when the Holy Spirit indwells you, that loneliness, that addiction, that brokenness, that can all become a distant memory because you have a family. And it is a family with some idiosyncrasies and dysfunctions. I mean, you don't have to be in a small group more than like an hour to realize, okay, I got some dirty people up in this mug, leaving the toilet seat up, (laughs) not taking your cups out of the table. Oh, wait, my small group guys are here. I better say that. It is a family with dysfunction, but I want to challenge you. Do not run away when you find dysfunction in other people. Do not run away when other people find dysfunction in you because this is all we got. Family. I'm the crazy uncle that eats too much salami and cheese and wants to play Scrabble whenever he's trying to watch football and sleep off that turkey. I'm that guy. Because you have a family, number two, you also have a father. You have a father. Let's go back to that text in Romans 8 just for a brief moment if we could. Romans 8 says this. Now by his spirit we cry, Abba, Father. By his spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. I believe personally, and I've talked with Pastor Tim about this many times over the years, I believe personally that the greatest epidemic in the American culture today is not the opioid crisis, it's not stock, stock market volatility, it is not the housing market, it is not political unrest. I believe personally that the greatest epidemic in the American culture is fatherlessness. We need dads. Everybody needs a father. The father is the one that deposits identity into you. Fatherlessness comes in a variety of forms. And I want to say this with the utmost respect. Nobody's perfect I know most of us are doing the best that we can and life is hard. But I wanna wanna encourage you, if you're a father today, keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting for your heart. Keep fighting for your wife's heart. Keep fighting for your kids' hearts. 
Fatherlessness, fa- that's a tough word. Fatherlessness can look like absenteeism, just not there. Fatherlessness can look like abuse, whether that's physical or emotional. It can also be irresponsibility, like, hey, I see what's going around me. I see what my duties are, but I just don't care. If you're a father, keep fighting for your own heart so that you can take care of the hearts of your family. Many of you probably saw that video. I I, I thought this was fascinating. It it was in the news recently about uh, Southwood High School in Louisiana. Did anybody see that? I see a a guy over here nodding his head. So in this high school in Louisiana, there were 23 student arrests over the course of a three-day period. Um, And these were as a result of violent on-campus fights. So there was a ton of fights going on. 23 students arrested in a week at a high school. So there's this group of about 40 fathers from the church that got together and said, okay, we got to do something about this. So they made these uh, black intimidating t-shirts that said dad's on duty on them. And what they did is they showed up to that school at the beginning of, of school before the day started and they were greeting children, they were laughing, they were joking, they were uh, encouraging kids to pay attention in class and to, and to engage with all that, that this learning experience had to offer them. And it was remarkable what the presence of a father and a, of a bunch of fathers did on that campus. When a father shows up, your purpose is redefined, your identity is restored, and chaos turns to order. You have a father like that. Jesus knew that having a father was crucial to our spiritual formation. And this is why he reminds us through Paul here in Romans that the spirit within us positions us to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, I want to go into that word Abba uh, just briefly. It's a fascinating word, but I want to let you know it wasn't a foreign term to the Jewish people. They knew exactly what Abba meant. Abba, excuse me, Abba is an intimate term. Something like a little child would say to its father after it's crawled up into his lap to talk. Abba is translated daddy. Please make sure you hear what I said. It's not translated into daddy God. It's just daddy. If you use daddy God, that's cool too. I I wish I could do that. I'm not not that guy though. (laughs) So Abba means daddy. And I, it's a cool name, but it, it was never a name that people in, the Hebrew culture used to address God. It's a familiar name, but it wasn't a personal name. I love what Pastor Robin shared in her message a couple weeks ago uh, about prayer with the term Abba. She said, Abba is like a good dad that you can crawl up into his lap and have a nice chat with. When I think about God, that's the kind of God that I see now. I see a father who's welcoming, who calls me up into his arms. He said, I'm here to talk. It's hard to talk to a God who's harsh, isn't it? A a God who's detached, a God who's absent, a God who's angry. There may be some people in here today who grew up in a tradition where that was what was portrayed to you. I want to let you know that that is not the Abba that Jesus knew. That's not the Abba that Pastor Robin knew. That's not the Abba that I know. The God that I know, the Abba is a good father. That's the type of father you have today. So since they knew that, they knew the term Abba, I want to submit to you 
something I want to play around with. And that is that the most important word in that scripture in Romans 8 is not Abba, but it's now. Now. Now has the indication that something was a certain way for a certain period of time, but at that moment of now, everything changed. Before it was just God. Before he was out there. Now it's Abba. He's close. I come up into his lap. I can talk to him. He's kind to me. He's gracious to me. When he looks at me, he's smiling. Now you can call God Abba. As you know, uh, um, the last couple of weeks have been really interesting. Uh, Pastor Tim has uh, used a couple of alliterations to describe the Holy Spirit to us as he is wont to do. In week one, the spirit was the sergeant, so he walks alongside us. Week two, he was the sieve. He's sifting and, and filtering. Number three, he's the schemer. So wherever you may be at, God is out hunting, looking for you like a good father. And last week, he was the sage, giving wise wisdom about conviction. Today, I want to submit to you that God is the signature. God is the signature in keeping with our S theme. Number three, because you have a family, because you have a father, you have a new name. You have a new name. So being adopted, I know a little bit about the process. What happens is the responsible party, the birth family, is required to sign over their rights and their, um, basically sign over the rights of the child or the person uh, to the new family. And so they get out a pen. I wanted to put a feather on this because it looks so much more official, but I just got a red Sharpie, so bear with me. So what happens in adoption is the, the, old, the new parent signs on to take responsibility like we talked about earlier. And so when we're adopted in the spirit, God signs up for us. He signs up for us. And when he signs up for us, he declares that he gives you a new name. And when he does this, when he gives you a new name, he puts his signature on you as a seal, as a deposit, guaranteeing his ownership over you. You have a new name. And as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. You see this often in the scriptures. I don't know if you, many of you here may not be familiar with some of the old Bible stories, but it's a repeated pattern in the Bible that when God initiates a new relationship with a person, he changes their name. So in the Old Testament, you have a man named Abram who finds God and he becomes Abraham. You have a woman who's barren named Sarai. When she meets God, she becomes Sarah, mother of many. And I was corrected first service. I, I wanted to use this because I know Tim does it. So I was going to say that when uh, Saul meets Jesus, Jesus changes his name to Paul. But I guess he just started calling himself Paul. So, but the point still applies. <laughs> when you're adopted, God is going to give you a new name. 
And I want to be really sensitive because I think this is a holy moment right now. I believe that in, for some of you, God is whispering in your ear what that new name might be. He's revealing to you the truth about how he sees you. And I can guarantee you this, that the new name that God has for you is completely detached from any issues or deficiencies or addictions or brokenness that you may have walked in here with today. This new name is a good name. It's a name given by God. Now you can choose to identify with the beauty, with the goodness, with the righteousness, with the intelligence, with the kindness that's in you, because God has given you a new name. I love this scripture in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16. It says this, see, I have, in, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. I have written your name on the palms of my hands. God's taken responsibility of you to the degree that he's written your name on the palm of his hands. There's some blood invested in that, isn't there? And for those of you who've been around TFH for a while, you know that our whole church is built around this idea of having a new name. Uh, and it comes from this verse in Isaiah chapter 62, and it goes like this. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see. A splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the, the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. No longer are you known by your old name, by your old addictions, by your old deficiencies. God calls you a new name. And that's something that you can walk out of here today with, with a lot of confidence. Having a new name means two different things. Like the lyrics of a song by my friend Jonah, you're no longer known by your old name when you have a new name. You're no longer known by the name Smith or Chan or Velasquez or Reed or Biddle or Fernandez or all of the other myriad of incredibly culturally diverse names that we have here at the church. That's still your name, but that's not your new identity. When God gives you a new name, when he signs on that adoption paper to take responsibility for you, he gives you a new name. And I believe for some of you in here today, that name is chosen. The scripture says it like this, you are chosen, you are holy, you are dearly loved. If you came in here today feeling like you were simply the byproduct of time and space and material, God wants, to know that, he wants you to know that you're chosen. You are handpicked, you are that avocado. If you came in here today wrestling with sin or guilt or shame, God wants you to know that because you're in this family, because he is your father, because you have a new name, you can walk out of here clean and free and forgiven with a breath of fresh air. And lastly, if you came in here and you just don't feel like you've got anything left in the tank to be loved, 
Maybe you've gone too far. You've made one too many bad decisions. You said, I wasn't going to do it anymore. But this morning or last night, you found yourself doing it again. I want you to know that you are never beyond God's choosing love. God chooses you today. You're no longer known by your own name, and the band can come up. I want to end with this. When God gives you a new name, it means that maybe for the first time, you're seen. Maybe for the first time, you feel seen. I know what it's like to feel invisible. I know what it's like to be here and feel as if I shouldn't be. I know what that's like. When God gives you a new name, he sees you. And not only does he see you, this community, this family, this TFH, San Francisco sees you. And we love you. There's a man that walks around my neighborhood. I noticed him one day, he looked like he had a great life. He was out uh, sitting on this bench and he was reading uh, a book, smoking a couple cigs. I gave that a, a while back, but he was a pretty relaxed guy. He looked like he, uh, I didn't know what his background was, but I could tell he had a story behind him. I could tell maybe he didn't, he wasn't being seen at that time in his life. And so I said, Lord, what should your servant do? And he said, son, I want you to give him a cup of water. And I said, Lord, I don't have a cup. He said, well, give him a bottle of water. So I walked over to him and I gave him this bottle of water. He said, no, sir, no, sir, I don't, I'm good, I'm good. And I forced him to take it because I saw him. I saw that he had a need. And as somebody who has the heart of a good father inside of me, I couldn't sit there and not provide for him. I found out later his name was David. And every time I see him now, I walk up to him and I call him by his name. And I say, David, and I, I kid you not, every time I say, David, how are you doing? That man's eyes shine like a thousand diamonds because he knows he's seen. I'm going to close with this. Maybe some of you here are in a relationship with God. You know, uh, you understand these principles of having a family and a father and a name. Maybe you just need a quick refresh. I want to pray for you today. You also might be here and realize that, man, I could use a family. I could use a father. I could use a new name. I want to pray for you too. So if everybody across this room would just bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit of adoption. Thank you, God, that you've given us a family. Thank you that you've given us yourself, a new father. And thank you that you've given us a new name. God, I pray for every soul in here that needs to be refreshed, that needs to be reminded, that needs to be spoken over again, your true and beautiful and comforting words. I pray that they would hear you this morning, Father. Father, I pray for 
uh, every person in here who might hear your voice today, God, let them hear, let it sink deep into their heart. Let them walk out here changed. There's one more group of people I wanna, I wanna pray for. Maybe as I've been talking, you said, this sounds pretty interesting. I don't know that I have a relationship with God right now. I don't know if God is my father. I wanna give a moment. I wanna be very sensitive and give a moment for God to move in your heart. So if you're here today and you would say, I'm far from God, I'd like to come and know what it's like to have a family. I wanna know Jesus. Would you do me a favor and just look up at me and raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. Just give a couple of moments. I see you back there, bro. Thank you. It's a good day. Just a couple more seconds. Father, I thank you that today this man has a family. He has a father and he has a new name. Father, I pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would get him plugged in. And I thank you that today we can all walk out of here rejoicing that you changed lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.